0: Hi, my name's Jennifer Murphy, I'm a surgical trainee at Royal Derby Hospital and I'm joined by Mr Daniel Catch, who's the surgical registrar at Northampton General Hospital. i going to talk about hypotension in surgical patients. Today we will cover common causes of hypotension in surgical patients, a systematic approach to assessing these patients, and basic management steps we can initiate on the ward. Hi Daniel. Hello there. What possible causes of hypotension are there, in a particularly in a surgical patient, for example?
1: Well, the differential diagnosis for why a patient may have hypotension is quite wide. Though in a surgical context, the vast majority of patients are almost always hypotensive because of one of these three causes, either hypovolemia, sepsis, or a cardiogenic cause.
0: So let's talk about hypovolemic causes of hypotension to start with. Why might a surgical patient be hypovolemic?
1: We can split this in the elective setting into one of two things. Either they've had an adequate fluid resuscitation before, during or after the case, or they are bleeding because of the surgery postoperatively.
0: So why are surgical patients usually quite dry?
1: Excluding patients who are on the enhanced recovery programme, the majority of patients undergoing general surgery are starved for at least six hours before Mm -hmm. the procedure. Um, therefore, the patients approach the operating table dry. During the procedure, they will lose an awful lot of fluid into the swabs, either through evaporation of fluid from the abdominal cavity or blood loss. The may not appreciate this and may not give them enough fluid interoperatively. Mm-hmm. And postoperatively, there may not be prescribed fluids at the appropriate rate to account for these losses. And so for all these yeah, reasons, okay. the patients can get behind.
0: Mm-hmm. I suppose they might be vomiting as well and not wanting to have as so much oral intake as they might usually we talked about patients being volume depleted because they've not had adequate fluid resuscitation and they might be hypovolemic because they're bleeding.
1: Yeah, and certainly this used to terrify me when I was a house officer. I mean, how do I know whether this patient who's had an operation is bleeding or not? I have to say, in the in the circumstances where patients have been bleeding operative, postoperatively, it tends to be obvious. The mm. hypotension is almost always associated with a drop in the urine output, a sharp tachycardia. Um, Patients have abdominal pain if it's an intra-abdominal procedure or there's blood coming out of the drains, coming out through the wound or coming out through their mouth in the case of upper GI surgery.
0: Okay, we've talked about if a patient is hypotensive because they're hypovolemic. What about if a patient's hypotensive because they're septic?
1: Well, emergency surgery aside... Patients undergoing elective surgery tend to become septic about two or three days at least after surgery. Mm-hmm. That's because we need to give the bugs time to brew before they exhibit any cl- clinical signs. Mm-hmm. This can take the form of a chest infection, accompanied by low saturations and increased respiratory rate, mm-hmm. as well as some consolidation or clinical examination or chest X-ray, a urinary tract infection evident by urine dip or lower urinary tract symptoms, mm-hmm. or in the case of elective colorectal surgery, with a patient with an anastomosis, they may have leaked from that, and this tends to take place about five days after the surgery. It's quite a terrifying ordeal on leap because the mortality rate is so high and needs to be spotted early. Mm-hmm. But I have to say they generally are fairly obvious. They exhibit sudden sepsis, abdominal pain, and become very unwell very quickly.
0: I suppose, depending on where the patient is in their post-operative course will depend what is top of your differential list. Early post-operative course, probably hypovolemic. Later post-operative course... You want to worry about sepsis.
1: By and large that's a fairly good rule of thumb but that doesn't explain cardiac causes.
0: What cardiac causes are causing hypovolemia is there?
1: Patients undergoing major general surgery are at risk of um, cardiac events after surgery and by cardiac events what we mean is myocardial infarction or unstable angina.
0: Is that because of the general stress of surgery?
1: Well, it's due to two factors, really. I mean, these patients are undergoing a large stress response, normally because of the surgery they've had mm-hmm. to undergo, and often these patients may be elderly and may have coexisting cardiac mm, disease. Yeah, of course. And the surgery may be the straw that breaks the camel's back, and a patient who is almost asymptomatic from the heart point of view may have a full burn MI a day or two after their hernia repair, for example.
0: So, does it tend to occur one or two days postoperatively?
1: Cardiac events in the post-operative phase can occur really at any point. They generally speaking tend to occur in the first couple of days after surgery, the peak being between days two and three. (laughs) Um, Though really, in a patient who's got any cardiac history or index of suspicion for cardiac causes of hypertension, need to be pretty high.
0: Cool. What about thromboembolism?
1: Well, thromboembolism is a major national health problem. We suppose that about 1 in 15 patients die of of a preventable thromboembolism in hospital every Mm. day. Um, And the reason is that it's very common.
0: But most patients have a thromboprophylaxis, don't they? Like they have TED stockings and we give them plexane prophylactically.
1: The vast majority of patients in hospital now are almost always administered TEDs and or low molecular weight heparin mm-hmm. um, to try and mitigate the chance of the developing a thromboembolism after surgery. But the truth is these patients often have undergone pelvic surgery, they tend to be obese, they are immobile after surgery. Yeah. Um, it's a hypercoagulable state and they're sitting ducks for thromboembolism. Your index of suspicion has to be high post-operatively.
0: And is that more so in pelvic, abdominal and lower limb surgery?
1: Well, certainly patients undergoing uh, lower limb, pelvic surgery, cancer surgery Mm. or emergency general surgery are at a higher risk. There are other risk factors such as having a previous embolic event, for example, being pregnant. Okay.
0: Is thromboembolism likely to occur at the same kind of time that you might expect an MI to occur?
1: Well, and as we said, MIs tend to occur about day two or day three after mm. surgery, whereas leaks and so on and so forth tend to occur a couple of days after that. If someone develops acute hypotension or tachycardia or shortness of breath at day ten, the first thing you should think about is somber embolism.
0: We've talked about possible causes of hypotension and when they might occur in the post-operative course. So you get to the ward. What would be a, a logical approach to a patient that is hypotensive?
1: In this context, you want to know as much about the patient as you can.
0: So where might you look for that information? Because it's three o'clock in the morning and there's no one really around other than the patient, the nurse and
1: yourself. Well, that's right, and that's all that you need, really. The first thing is to eyeball the patient, make sure they're not dying. And then if there's time, you consult the notes, find out why they've come in, Mm -hmm. when, what operation they've had performed, what are their comorbidities. And you can gain an awful lot of information and pretty much make the diagnosis sometimes just from looking at the notes. I would always consult the nursing staff looking after the patient. Yeah. You've often never met this patient before, whereas mm. they may be looking after him for the sure. last day or week or month. Yeah.
0: So what kind of things do you want to know from the nurses?
1: Have they been completely fine up until this point, or have they been deteriorating over the last couple okay. of days? And you just will get a good feel for the patient, and it will help you narrow down some of your differentials.
0: Yeah. I suppose you want to know what kind of what medications they're on as well.
1: Yeah, certainly. Consulting the drug chart after the note is yeah. very helpful in these patients. Yeah. If someone's on brisoprolol or onlodipine, and they are otherwise well with a bit of hypotension, with a good urine output, not to play any pain, and sitting, up reading the paper, you may think, well, wow, is it just these beta blockers or these calcium channel blockers mm. causing the hypotension, and can I reassure the nurses?
0: But of course you want to assess the patient before you do that, I suppose.
1: You'll want to assess these patients in a structured... A to E approach if it's in an exam setting, but practically, there's a number of things that you need to look at. You may not look at them all in the appropriate order, but as long as you look at all of them and get as much information as you can, you'll be able to make the diagnosis.
0: So how do you approach a patient in a structured manner?
1: Well, the first thing to do is look at the appearance of the patient, sort of do the bedogram and see do they look like they're dying of an MI or have they got obvious abdominal pain. Look around the patient, do they have any intravenous therapy running, do they have a bag of fluids, or are they kneel by mouth after procedure and not taking the time to prescribe any fluids? Look at all the observations. Do they have a pyrexia? Are they tachycardic? What's the respiratory rate? So on and so forth. And then when you actually move to the patient, you want to look at their capillary refill time. What's their filling like? Look at their JVP.
0: That's telling you if they're hypovolemic or not?
1: It'll certainly tell you what their fluid status is. And so if someone's got a... a uh, an absent JVP, their capillary refill time is five seconds, and they've got dry mucous membranes, hypovolemia could be a cause, as sure. well as sepsis. It certainly makes a cardiac cause less likely. Further that you want to look at the urine output. The urine output in the context of hypotension alone is perhaps your most useful tool. Urine output, when taken hourly and measured accurately, mm-hmm. is an excellent way for us to determine how is this patient perfusing the end organs.
0: I guess it's important to make sure the patient's catheterized then in the first instance...
1: Yeah, so if you're concerned about a patient and you're not sure what their fluid status is, you know you can't read really, you can't read a JVP because they're fat. We don't know how to do it. If you put a catheter into this patient and monitor their urine up over the following two or three hours, mm-hmm. you're going to get to know very precisely whether they're perfusing their kidneys or not. And really, that's the question you want to ask in this patient with hypertension: mm-hmm. is their blood pressure enough for them to perfuse their end organs okay. or the anastomosis if they've had elective okay. colorectal surgery? Now. It doesn't end there. You, you want to assess the whole patient. You want to listen to their chest. Do they have a consolidation? Is an obvious infection? Examine their abdomen. Do they have any pain? Is the stoma nice and pink? Mm-hmm. If there is a stoma, if they have any drains, make sure they're not full of blood. Because you want to make sure this patient obviously is not bleeding if it's the first couple of days after mm-hmm. surgery.
0: So, if you think the patient is bleeding or they've got a leak, what should you do?
1: Well, if you think of patients hemorrhaging after elective or even emergency surgery, the treatment is you cannulate the patient with large ball cannulas, you take blood and for cross-match, you alert a senior, put high flow oxygen on the patient. Then you need to alert the theatres as well. So the bottom line is to get help and prepare the patient for surgery.
0: And if it's not quite as dramatic as that and you think the patient is probably hypovolemic because they've just not been adequately fluid resuscitated, what should your approach then be?
1: Obviously this patient will require intravenous uh, fluid therapy.
0: If you decide they need intravenous fluid therapy, how much should you give patients?
1: Well, there's a lot of debate and a wide practice about how patients are managed with intravenous fluid mm. therapy. I always advocate setting someone up with maintenance fluid to keep up with their losses and then boleting them on top of this to catch up so they've got an adequate intravascular volume on board.
0: And I suppose their response to that is guided by resolution of the hypotension and adequate urine output.
1: Yeah, so looking at the whole patient to make sure that they're responding to it appropriately.
0: What's a good fluid to use?
1: There's actually no evidence for giving colloid over crystalloid, and no one will ever criticise you for giving someone crystalloid in this setting. Of okay. course, you, will, you do want to check the you're using these beforehand to make sure you don't overload them with potassium or sodium, depending on which fluid you're choosing.
0: So we've talked about uh, management of uh, hypovolemia. Uh, what if the measures you've taken with fluid resuscitation and aren't solving the problem?
1: If you think you've had a, a bit of a stab at trying to get this patient back to, to health and you haven't got anywhere after the first couple of hours, you really need to escalate this to a senior. Mm-hmm. And certainly if there's a patient on my ward where the house officer has tried to uh, resuscitate for an hour or two and they haven't got anywhere and the patient's done well, I would want to know whether okay. it's the middle of the day or the middle of the night.
0: And I suppose you might be looking at high-level care, such as HDU.
1: If a patient needs to be moved to a higher level of care because they are not coping with the things we can provide them on the ward, then we need to move them to a unit such as the high dependency unit or intensive care.
0: Cool. We talked about hypovolemia. What about if you've done your assessment and you, know, you think the patient uh, might be septic?
1: If you think a patient's got systemic sepsis, you need to treat them very aggressively and they will get better. And if you leave them be, then they may all well get worse. And so time is of the essence in these patients. There is a certain amount of initial resuscitation and treatment that you, as the FY1, can do.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: Despite the fact, even if you think they may not be hypovolumic, if someone is septic, they will require some fluids. They will require mm-hmm. broad-spectrum antibiotics after taking blood cultures and a, a urinary culture. you want to admit, administer high-flow um, oxygen to this patient, take a blood cast, put a catheter in. If you feel that they have a chest infection, um, you should really pursue some imaging and get a chest X-ray mm-hmm. to confirm your diagnosis. But if you're not sure, and they may require some further abdominal injury, such as CT, you really should be talking to your senior.
0: We've got isolate a source of sepsis, so take a urine dip, take some blood cultures,
1: mm-hmm.
0: get a chest x-ray perhaps. You want to administer empirical antibiotics early, and that obviously will depend on trust guidelines. Mm-hmm. Give them some high-flow oxygen, get them catheterised similarly to if they were hypovolemic. Give them fluids and take a blood gas. And the blood gas is because?
1: Well, you want to be able to uh, judge the, the response to the therapy that you're giving. So you want to re- be looking at the lactate or the bicarbonate, sure. to see what their acid-base status is. Right, okay. What's their gas exchange? And you can mm-hmm. assess their response by taking serial blood gases a few hours down the line. So that first blood gas, although it may seem pointless to you on the ward, a few hours later when we're comparing the patient three hours before to mm-hmm. what we have in front of us, is a very useful tool.
0: That's the septic. And what about if you think they've got cardiogenic shocks, so you think they've had an MI, for example?
1: It can be very difficult to diagnose patients with an MI sometimes, especially in a patient who you think is a bit septic, a bit hypovolemic, and you're not sure whether they have a, a cardiac cause for their hypotension or not. Certainly there are some things which would point us towards a cardiac cause. If a patient complains of cardiac pain, if they've gone into atrial fibrillation on the ECG, if you feel they've got pulmonary edema on clinical examination, if they're on any cardiac medication, if they mm-hmm. are clammy, sweaty, these all point towards a cardiac cause for their hypotension. thanks
0: you think someone's had an MI, you want to get an ECG, get troponin, and do you consult any other members of the disciplinary team?
1: Quite right, though, there are several people you need to talk to, but before we do that, um, if you think the patient's well enough for you to administer some initial treatment, mm-hmm. um, you want to try and make the diagnosis first of all, sure. so you do an ECG, yeah. ask for a troponin, make sure they've had their cardiac medications mm-hmm. um Since they've come in, a lot of patients will come in and just not have their cardiac medications prescribed because someone's forgotten. If you're at all in doubt, then you need to be speaking to the on-call medical registrar who will be able to advise you and even help you by the bedside.
0: Today we have covered common causes of hypotension in surgical patients, touching on hypovolemia, sepsis and cardiogenic causes, how to assess patients on arrival at the ward and how to initiate basic management steps when dealing with these patients. Thank you very much.
1: My pleasure.